welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. On Friday, the state reported the highest number of new confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Michigan since the height of the initial outbreak back in late April. 1,313 new cases in a single day. Now, we don't have a reason for the spike, and it's not clear whether it represents a troubling new trend. But we do know that these numbers are almost all complicated and need some explanation to really understand what's behind them. Here to help us make sense of the state's data and the ways it's collecting that data is Crane's Detroit Business Senior Editor, Chad Livengood. Chad, welcome back to Detroit Today. So explain to us what's happening with the latest numbers about single-day confirmed cases in Michigan. Should we be concerned that we are headed back to the really dark days that we had in March and April? Well, there's always a concern that this fall is going to is going to produce more cases as people head back indoors, uh, and and uh, we are reopening schools and colleges, universities, uh, and and people are uh, with each other in inside enclosed spaces. Uh, one explanation they did get on the 1,300 uh, uh, cases that they uh, announced on Friday was. Oakland County on Thursday afternoon received test results, 204 positive test results dating back to August 11th from a single lab. And this has been a common problem uh, that the state has been having to wrestle with uh, on an almost daily basis is when these tests get sent off to private labs, sometimes they take um, a week, two weeks, even three weeks. Um, in this case, almost four weeks to come back uh, from uh, from the private lab. The private lab could be in California, could be in North Carolina or New Jersey. Um, what, what this seems like the results, the testing, and anybody who's gotten tested has probably experienced this. Because um, uh, I had a family member who got tested, and it took 19 days mm-hmm. uh, to get a result back. Um, but um, the, the uh, hospital labs uh, at, at Beaumont, Henry Ford. DMC and the such, they, they seem to be the fastest in turning over, as is the state lab as well. So sometimes this is, the, the, at least in one K, in one county, um, that was 204 out of the 321 cases that came out of Oakland County in one day were from multiple days. So you have to, uh, this is hard uh, enough for the state track. Um, the, the state has uh, a team of almost 25 people who wake up every morning at, and start at 6 a.m., start gathering and looking at data coming in from overnight um, as they prepare the, the next day's report. Every day's report is, is based on, um, on uh, COVID-19 uh, cases and deaths reported between 10 a.m. on, on uh, say, Sunday and, and 10 a.m. this morning. Uh, then they will prepare and, and to uh, publish that information at 25, at, excuse me, at uh, 3 p.m. that day. I'll tell you, Stephen, from listening to um, some of the folks I talked to at DHHS about the process, it sounded like putting on a newspaper um, uh, on deadline. I mean, just it is um, a lot of, of handwork, a lot of uh, double-checking of information, and sometimes sorting a lot of data. It, it is um, uh, cumbersome, to say the least. And part of it is because the state is dealing with a system um, that is aging. It's about the, the computer system that, that the state uses to track 
infectious diseases is 16 years old, and and it's starting to really show up in a lot of, of the shortcomings um, that that the program has. For instance, they, they do not have the ability to, um, as they're bringing these cases and information in from various different sources, hospitals, labs, um, county health departments, uh, they don't have a way of assigning, okay, this case came from someone who was going, um, to, was working in, in an auto plant, and this case came from someone in a nursing home. And that's been one of the questions since we started reopening the, the, the various businesses and the entire economy back in late May and into, into the summer was, okay, where are the outbreaks coming from? And so to, to fix and remedy this problem, the state actually has created a survey monkey survey that they send out to all 45 county and district uh, health departments in the state that then uh, report back on a weekly basis um, they, they fill out this, this form and have it in by Friday, and then the state publishes this, this new report on outbreaks by setting on Mondays. Um, but the data can be up to 10 days old um, because it's, it's a weekly report and some of it's coming back from the previous Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, this is one of the big issues that the state has been kind of wrestling with in trying to uh, collect data and then inform the public all, all at once. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we do know is happening is that colleges have reopened. And now this week, this, this past week, schools have also reopened public schools in the yep. state. Um, over the weekend, uh, the the Ingham County government told students at Michigan State who are living in East Lansing to self-quarantine for two weeks. This comes after a lot of concern from outbreaks there and other college towns in Michigan. What do we know about what the return of college kids to college campuses is doing to drive the numbers? Yeah, at Michigan State, um, there have been 324 people affiliated with the school uh, that have been traced to having uh, um, um, uh, gotten the virus just in the, since August 24th. And so um, the, the county health department says that there is a, uh, a rapidly spreading um, outbreak, and they have they've, they've issued a recommendation, not an order yet, uh, to um, uh, to forever all students and and faculty, for that matter. You're talking about uh, a neighborhood of um, forty, fifty thousand people um, to essentially quarantine uh, for the next two weeks. Um, and and we've seen several outbreaks. So um, at uh, Grand Valley State University, out in Ottawa County, uh, west of, of Grand Rapids. Um, th- that county, Ottawa County, has had 841 new positive cases wow. just in the past four weeks, and and Grand Valley itself is reporting that there's 462 active cases on campus right now, and on, on their population of of, um, of 28,000 uh, students, and they're rec- they're they're averaging about 45 new uh, cases per day. Mm. Um, and Isabella County had kind of an earlier outbreak from Central Michigan University students report- coming back to school in mid-August. Um, they have ha- they've reported uh, in the last four weeks 325 cases. A, a six-fold increase uh, from the previous four weeks in the middle of uh, middle of summer, um, and uh, the health department there has identified that 266 of those cases 
have been associated with current or former CMU students living in the area. Um, and, and this is not just immune to downstate. Um, in the Upper Peninsula in Houghton County, uh, home to uh, Michigan Tech University uh, and uh, Finlandia University in Hancock, they've had 120 cases uh, in the past four weeks. And they had seven cases in the previous four weeks, the middle of July, the middle of August. I mean, that's that's a prime summer tourism season in the UP. Um, so they've had a 17-fold increase just in that county uh, in the past four weeks. And um, Macosta County, home of Ferris State University in Big Rapids, they've had 77 cases, which is triple the number of cases uh, that they had uh, midsummer, and, and and this goes on. You can find this in Lenaway County, uh, where there's private colleges like Adrian College and Siena Heights. So, the, um, w- but this is interesting. One thing to kind of note in the last four weeks, um, the number of, of new cases has declined in Detroit hmm. and suburban Wayne County, um, and Oakland County, Macomb County, Kent County, Genesee County. And even Washtenaw County, home to U of M and, and uh, Eastern Michigan University, uh, which EMU, we should note, they delayed their move-in until this Thursday by three weeks um, uh, because of, of, the, of the outbreak at Central. They wanted to kind of give it a few weeks before mm-hmm. they had students uh, return to campus. So we will see, we will be watching closely how how things are going in Ypsilanti and Ann Arbor in the coming weeks. I'm talking with Chad Livengood, the senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. He's been closely following the state's response to COVID-19. We're talking about the numbers that came out last week that show a pretty dramatic spike in the number of new cases. We're talking about where that spike might be coming from and what the state's response might be. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know what you think about the state's response and the way that Governor Whitmer has handled the coronavirus pandemic? Do you feel safer or less safe with all of the things that have been done? And what do you think about the return to school, the return to school for college kids and the return to school for kids who are in K-12, which happened last week? Is that going to send the numbers back up? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. So, uh, Chad, last week, polling showed that a really large majority of Michigan residents support Governor, Governor Whitner and, and the way that she has handled the pandemic so far. At the same time, a Republican-backed petition initiative has collected more than 400,000 signatures to try to repeal one of the laws that Whitmer is using to implement her emergency Orders. These seem uh, at odds with 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 one another, but it is about this the kind of quirks of Michigan government that uh, that make it possible that she may get a rebuke at the same time that so many people think she's doing the right thing. Yeah, we have uh, on our in our constitution the ability for voters to uh, gather petitions and pass a law. And and um, that that law could what this law would do is essentially just wipe out the 1945 law, um, partly because we have uh, we have two different emergency management laws on the books in Michigan. One give this 1945 law gives the governor broad discretion without any oversight uh, from the legislature. Uh, she doesn't have to ask the legislature for permission 
to to get, issue these orders under that law. And the other law it was passed in 1976, and she does have to ask for the, the legislature. And initially, she did back in the spring. She got an extension for one month, and and then uh, they got all at odds, and uh, between the Democratic governor and Republican legislature, and um, and she uh, she decided to start using just the 1945 law for issuing these orders to, because the legislature would not vote to renew uh, the the state of emergency. That has been, I mean, remarkably, that's been four months now, mm. or more over that, more than that now. And and um, and so, um, yes, they, this group is trying to get the signatures. They say they got they got enough. Uh, they obviously there will be legal challenges um, of the, and scrutiny of the signatures, looking for duplicates, any way to throw this thing out. Um, so the, the group has not turned them in yet. They're waiting a couple more weeks of good weather to try to basically pad their their numbers. They want to. You know, sometimes you want to come in with five hundred thousand if you can, um, just because we've seen these things uh, self destruct before uh, when they don't they don't quite have they have too many duplicates and uh, and so. But there's a possibility, Stephen, that we could see uh, this certified uh, petition uh, sent to the legislature um, for the lame duck session hmm. um, in, af- in after Thanksgiving, um, and that we could have a, a debate in December um, about uh, about the governor's powers, yeah. um, or they could she could be taken away um, like pretty quickly, with, and there's no way for her to veto initiated petition like this. And right. this has been used in the past uh, to try to essentially get around governors that was used against Rick Snyder in the last term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, 400,000 people sounds like a lot of people, and it is. But when you consider that there are 10 million people uh, in the state, that uh, that really does make, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it, it's one of the things that, that I think is a quirk. In uh, in the constitutional system that we have here in the state of uh, in the state of Michigan, um, uh, so I want to I want to quickly before we break talk about K to twelve, which opened up last week, and we of course don't know yet what that's going to look like. Some of us who have kids who've started school before last week have some idea of how it's gone, but give us your sense of the first week of public schools here in in Michigan and and how that could influence the overall numbers. Well, um, we, we it's going to take a couple of weeks, I think, of kids in school. And we don't we I don't we don't even really have a firm number of how many kids are actually in school. Um, it, it is schools are all over the map with, you know, hybrid programs where they're in school half the week uh, or all virtual programs, which is Kind of the kind of the majority of Metro Detroit, but um, but out state, there's a lot of kids going five days a week um, um, in, in school. So I think it's going to be a couple of weeks to see what the effects are there, and um, and then just I think there's also going to be a, a lot of issues just the management of schools. Um, I from 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 what all my friends with with kids in school and and my my own family's experience. It's not going too hot, uh, these virtual-only settings. It is really hard to manage, and and I think you're – and then also with, with, the, with some of the rules that the legislature put in place last month, uh, the school boards are going to have to reevaluate on a monthly basis whether they're going to remain in virtual or go back to the class, and they're going to have to have a vote every month. 
um, and that is going to probably cause create a lot of um, very long late night school board meetings in every school district, all 500 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think there's going to be uh, you know some reevaluation uh, quickly. But we're but they're all looking at the numbers and they're all trying to make sense of the numbers, and that's. That is a lot harder uh, to do, especially when you see like the trend that I went through earlier, where it's declined in the last four weeks in in Metro Detroit, but um, but it's it's spiking in in in, in these college towns, and so um, those college towns are probably making their own decisions. They're going to be all kind of focused on what's going on at the university, and um, and I know I know that's the case in East Lansing and Okemos in the Lansing area right now, where they're all the schools are are in virtual um, only. So um, I think it's going to be week to week here for quite a while. Okay, Chad Good, Senior Editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and raise a little more money. But then after that, we're going to hear from psychologist Beverly Daniel Tatum, author of the book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together? in the cafeteria. We're going to talk about who we're friends with during childhood and how that influences our social behavior as adults. Really interesting conversation coming up. Do not go away. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.